go straight to God. And what does that do? It gives you peace. I don't think LeBron would be very good at the dunk contest. When I got the update in my phone that this trade went through, I was furious. Alright, welcome to episode 4 of the Jesus Love Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Heaton. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your amazing love. And I pray that you continue to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today's podcast is quite the NBA edition. There has been a lot of things happening in the NBA world, and I plan to cover those. So... A little outline, I'm going to start with a sermon, a little message on betrayal, which my original like thought for talking about betrayal stemmed from the Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook uh, dramatic situation, and then after that I'm going to cover All-Star Weekend, NBA All-Star Weekend, and then go over the trade deadline, so... If you're an NBA fan, this is this is your podcast to listen to. If you're not an NBA fan, maybe you'll find hear something you like. I don't know. Anyway, let's jump into it. So, for betrayal. Now, let me start with the KD and Russ situation. So, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, been teammates for years. They've been to the finals one time. They lost last season to the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, and then KD, in the offseason, decides to sign with the Warriors, the team that beat him. Ultimately, I guess, air quote, betraying Russell Westbrook. Anyway, there's kind of some animosity between them, like in interviews, Westbrook doesn't like to talk about Durant. Durant kind of brushes off questions about Russ. Now, there is, they do have an issue. Now, it, it could all be fine behind closed doors and they're kind of just making this a big act in the public. But there probably is some real animosity towards each other. And I I do believe the media is kind of exaggerating a little bit, but at the core, this problem is about betrayal, about Westbrook feeling the pain of betrayal of Durant leaving him for another team. So there's two stories in the Bible I want to go over that are about betrayal. So this message is kind of basically about betrayal, what to do if you've been betrayed or if you've felt the pain of betrayal and then kind of examples to go off of how to handle it, what to do. All right, so the first story that I want to talk about is, uh, is from Psalm 55, talking about the, the pain of betrayal King David experienced. Uh, a little background on King David, just so we clarify who uh, we're talking about. Uh, king David, king of Israel, ruled from 1010 to 970 B.C. Uh, is the same David from David and Goliath, the David who took down the giant Goliath of the Philistine army with just a rock and a slingshot and obviously God on his side. Acts uh, 13.22 says David is a man after God's own heart. Man was, uh, David was... Also, not free of sin, David was an adulterer, 
but like many other people in the Bible, God used God. God's going to achieve His will no matter what, and God used a man like David. With, despite all his sin, God used him, and then it, the Bible says David is a man after God's own heart. God's love is amazing. Anyway, that's uh, the David we're talking about. So Psalm fifty-five, twelve through fourteen talks about the pain that David is experiencing. It says, starting with verse 12, David says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. So David is writing about his pain, his, uh, his extreme pain. And... What's interesting, we'll skip ahead to Psalm 16 through 17. This is the great thing. This is, David gives us a great example of going straight to God instead of bottling up bitterness or resentment or pain, which is what most people do. We've all been there. We've experienced betrayal. We're our nat- we, we, we want to seek revenge. We want to bottle this up. Somehow we seek to find... Uh, we just don't we don't go straight to God, which is the problem. So David in sixteen through seventeen, verse sixteen through seventeen it says, As for me I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. That's amazing. That's a great example. David, betrayed by someone close to him. He doesn't waste time bottling up the bitterness. He doesn't waste time planning a a plan to get revenge. He goes straight to God. And what does that do? It gives you peace. It allows you to call on God's strength to eventually forgive. David, this is a great example of what we should do. Now, I'll come back to that. The second example, the story from the Bible, I want to go over regarding betrayal. We look to Jesus. In fact, actually, off on a little tangent, Hebrews 4.15 talks about how Jesus can relate to us in any way, in any pain, any suffering, any temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus can relate to us with anything, which is amazing to think about. Now, you think of other religions. They have this one high God. He's very distant. You have all these things you have to do to be, try to be good enough to be with Him. But God came down. Jesus, who was fully God and, God, and was fully God and fully man, He lived a life as a human, he can relate to us with what we experience. Which is, a, does that not give you more comfort that we can go to him with our weaknesses, our temptations, our pain? Because Jesus can relate to us. He's experienced a human life. So that's just a little tangent, but it, Jesus knows the pain of betrayal, which so many of us know. We, Judas... Okay, so one of Jesus' followers, one of Jesus' followers, Judas, betrayed Jesus. 
So Jesus was with his disciples before he was going to be seized by uh, authorities who were going to take Jesus to be killed. Judas actually helped with that. Judas brought the authorities to Jesus and his disciples and went up and kissed Jesus on the cheek to show the authorities which one was Jesus. And then they seized him. Now, as soon as Jesus was betrayed, as soon as Judas did this, what's absolutely amazing and beautiful is what Jesus says to him. Jesus, right after being betrayed, which leads to his death, and Jesus knows this. Jesus knows he's going he's gonna to die. And what he says to Judas, he says in Matthew twenty six fifty, it says, Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Jesus called him friend. He immediately forgave Judas. Now let's think to us for a second. Now we've all betrayed someone. We've all been betrayed. It doesn't have to be in a large, a huge large scale, but some sort of betrayal we've all experienced. Put yourself on the end of the one being betrayed. Have you ever immediately told someone have you immediately ever forgave someone? Called them friend. Now, forgiveness isn't easy. It requires using God's strength and power to transform any grudges or resentment. So when we think back to when we've been betrayed and we're experiencing that pain, too often we don't, for, we don't forgive. Either we don't forgive immediately or we don't forgive at all. And it, Jesus, God holds us to a higher standard. God calls us to forgive. Now, it's not easy, like I said. But what's beautiful is Jesus, fully human, shows us it's possible. It's possible to forgive. Jesus was fully man, and he forgave. Which means we have the power to forgive. God gives us the power to forgive. We just have to Ask Him to help us. We have to do what Daniel did. That's why Daniel's example is so beautiful and so comforting and gives us hope because Daniel went straight to God. He didn't go straight to gossip and talk bad about this person to someone else. He didn't hold on to the resentment or bitterness. He went straight to God. We have two beautiful, great examples of how we should go about betrayal. In the Bible, Jesus forgave. Daniel went straight to God, which would lead him, helps him, which would lead to him forgiving. It's just, too old. we don't want to think, too often we think of Jesus as this person who, yes, he was fully man, but he's also God, so we can't do the things he did. We can't do the things he did. Yes, we can. Jesus was fully giving himself to God. Jesus is the only person to fully obey, fully give himself over to God, and let God be in control of his life. It's possible to do the things Jesus did as a man. It's possible to forgive. But we try to live so independently from God, try to maintain that control, we don't want to go to God. We don't want to call on God, cry out in distress like Daniel did. But God calls us to that, and it results in so much more good. Daniel showed us how to call on God when we are hurt because of betrayal. 
Yes, it's difficult because we sometimes seek revenge. Sometimes we want to hold on to that bitterness. But 1 Peter 3.9, we're commanded, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Repay evil with blessing. God wants us to return evil with blessing. Doesn't say evil, return it with evil. Doesn't say return it with resentment or bitterness. God calls us to a higher standard. God calls us to something more because He knows that if we're holding on to grudges, it leads to more pain. If we, re- if we release those grudges, if we call on God and allow Him to help us forgive, it leads to so much more peace. And God's, God loves us and wants the best for us. And God knows what will fulfill us. And holding on to grudges, not forgiving, does not lead to fulfillment. And some of you, we all, we all think, man, but it's, it's impossible. I can't, I can't possibly forgive someone who betrayed me like that. I can't possibly. Do you know how they betrayed me? Do you know what it feels like? Do you know what this pain is like? The pain you may feel from betrayal might be overwhelming. But the Bible promises, gives, has so many fulfilling promises that we too often forget. Luke 18, 27, Jesus says, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. God promises us that if we call on Him, if we rely on Him, if we crush the independence from Him that we desire and fully depend on God, it's possible. God doesn't leave us out to dry. He promises us that through Him we can achieve His will. So just think about that throughout this week and how beautiful... How beautiful these two examples are and how it can give you hope the next time you may feel the pain of betrayal. One more thing. Can you imagine if Russell, just to turn it back to sports for a second, can you imagine if Russell's first reaction to Kevin Durant when Durant signed with the Warriors was, do what you have to do, friend? (laughs) I mean, that would be amazing. But... Obviously, that's not what happened, and the media has turned this whole situation into something very dramatic. And I know, obviously, like I said earlier, Katie and and Russell Westbrook, they could be fine behind closed doors, but they're adding fuel to the fire and giving the media more to cover about their big situation and issue. Anyway, oh, one more thing. How about that Durant and Russell Westbrook lob at the... All-Star game. Maybe that's the start to forgiveness. I don't know. But all the smiles on the sideline, all the whole, their whole team was cheering them on after the alley-oop Durant threw to Westbrook. So maybe that's the start to forgiveness. Anyway, this thing about these two uh, stories in the Bible and how uh, they can apply to your life in betra- betrayal and forgiveness. All right, well... I say we move on to some NBA talk. Well, I'm going to start with the dunk contest. The dunk contest has been a large topic after it went down. Now, a lot of obviously most people believe it was a letdown because we compare it to Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine's dunk contest of last year. I mean, this year, Aaron Gordon 
didn't live up to the hype. Derek Jones, the the unsung hero, the supposed to be this guy who comes out of nowhere and wins the dunk contest because all his crazy dunk videos on YouTube. He missed dunks. I mean, the dunk. We need to realize that last year's dunk contest was a dream come true. It would have been very difficult to live up to that, especially because well, Zach Levine wasn't even in the contest this year, and he wouldn't have been anyway because he recently tore his ACL and he's out for the rest of the season. Um, so he wasn't in the contest this year to try to have a third straight year of winning it. Uh, I mean, like I said, like last year was amazing. The dunks, not only were the dunks great, but it didn't. They didn't have a ton of missed dunks. Getting the like. Making the dunk on the first time makes such a huge difference in the how it amps up the crowd, the the shock factor of how crazy the dunk was. Anyway, let's look more into this year's contest. So I had absolutely very I had no expectations for I had very low expectations for DeAndre Jordan. Like big men just don't have the craftiness or flexibility or creativity or the vertical leap ability as forwards and dunking guards do. Now, there's one exception with Dwight Howard, who actually is the only center to ever win the dunk contest. I mean, unless you want to include Larry Nance, who was kind of a forward center type. But Dwight Howard was amazing. Dunking on a 12-foot goal, he brought out the Superman cape. Dwight Howard's one of those guys that's just a fan favorite. Really good with the fans, getting people amped up. Sent, like big men just they're not great dunkers they're one there's like those they're like two foot power dunkers in games but they're not crafty like chris anderson oh Birdman. if you ever want to see a horrible dunk contest find a video of him in the 05 contest his first dunk he attempted nine times it was it's 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 cringeworthy to watch but at the same time you can find humor in it but it was terrible but big men just at a disadvantage. In the 2015 draft, according to draftexpress.com, the average vertical for a center was 31.2 inches, the lowest out of all positions. Like shooting guards, they had the highest at 38.2 inches. They're just, I don't know, big men are just, they're so stiff. Like, they can dunk the ball hard in, in games, but they're just, I don't know if they'll ever be great dunk contest dunkers, like, forwards and guards anyway great job to Glenn Robinson for taking advantage of a mediocre performance by everyone around him he actually did pretty well he had some good dunks um, anyway I have two more thoughts on the dunk contest that come from an article I read on foxsports.com by Andrew Lynch um, so one, first thought is NBA superstars skip the event thanks to LeBron. This is what his this is what he wrote in the article. Now there have like in two thousand, Trace McGrady and Vince Carter were in the contest, nineteen eighty eight, Dominique Wilkins, MJ. There used to be a lot of NBA like superstars competing against each other. Now this is this guy in Fox Sports is writing it's thanks to LeBron opting out, not being in the dunk contest. Now you can't put all the blame on LeBron. Maybe he has a small impact on big time players not competing anymore. He he probably he has a small impact, but he's not the 
the you can't put all the blame on him. Now I do have one little side thought. I don't think I don't think LeBron would be very good at the dunk contest. He might be skipping it because he knows he's not that great and he's trying to protect his legacy more. Now I don't I know that sounds blasphemous against King James, but he he like just seems so stiff to me. He dunks it hard in games. He does win, he's done windmills. But like if you look in the the his uh, the 2003 McDonald's All-American High School Dunk Contest, he really wasn't that impressive. I think he won it because he was the hometown hero. But his dunks compared to the other dunk contest dunks was it wasn't very impressive. And I don't think LeBron would be able to be like the dunks now in the dunk contest, they've evolved. So like in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, very powerful dunks. Hard dunk windmills like Dominique Wilkins would dunk the ball so hard. And now it's like last year's dunk contest with Levine and Aaron Gordon, it's all about going between the legs, behind the back. They're not dunking it as hard, but they're so flexible in their way to maneuver their body in the air, like jumping over people, going between the legs from the free throw line. I don't know if LeBron would be able to do that, those type of things because that's where the, the dunk contest, the expectations nowadays are all these crazy, flexible, behind the back, between the legs dunks. Now, I could be wrong, but that's just my, that's my opinion. I don't know if LeBron would be as great at the dunk contest as people think. Anyway, second thought, another second thought on the dunk contest that this guy in the article wrote about is, he said, have we reached the point of maximum creativity? So, and another thought, side thought was, fans have partly caused this. So, in older dunk, in earlier dunk contests, decades ago, players would repeat their dunks within the dunk contest. Like in 1988, Michael Jordan used the free throw line dunk twice to beat Dominique Wilkins. The 2000 dunk contest with Vince Carter and T-Mac and was full of windmills. There were so many windmills in that dunk contest. Nowadays, you have to do such different dunks. If you do multiple between the legs dunks, usually you're like you the fans expect something brand new every single time that's out of this world creative. Like that's what the, I, I think I agree with that. We're running at like this year was almost proof for that how Aaron Gordon tried to dunk it by a drone dropping a ball. Now that's cool, but have have dunk contests really resorted to having to use outrageous props? To, to be able to satisfy the fans. Like, the older dunk contest, they would dunk the ball hard. They'd reuse dunks. Nowadays, if you're we're running out of abilities to put the ball between your legs and behind your back, now, I mean, props are going to have to be used in the future. And partly that's the, our, the, fan of, the fault of us fans because we expect so much out of... Now, we have to remember, these players are human. There's only so much they can do. And I, I mean, I agree. I think creativity is starting to reach its max. So the future of dunk contests might see a lot of interesting props used. Anyway, that's my thoughts on the dunk contest. Uh, quick thoughts on All-Star Game. Stat, highest scoring All-Star Game ever this year. 374 points total. 
Uh, obviously, the games are getting less competitive. There's no defense being played. Like The West All-Star team has had one block, one block shot since 2014. And that one, that one shot was this year. They blocked one shot. Uh, there's some outliers. The 2001 All-Star game, the East was down. They entered the fourth quarter down 19 and had a crazy comeback. And the, that was probably that was an amazing All-Star game. I was watching the, a video of it uh, recently. It's very, very good. So if you want to watch a great All-Star game, go to watch the highlights of the 2001 uh, All-Star game. Anyway, the modern All-Star game, loved by younger generation, all the dunks, all the offense. Obviously, the older generation isn't too fond of it because uh, they're... They grew up watching more competitive games. It's getting less and less competitive. Honestly, it's whatever you make of it. I'm not sure if I have an opinion. Like, I'm not... Like, some people are getting very mad that they play no defense and it's not competitive anymore. Now, for those that are frustrated with it, maybe some solutions. Maybe make charity charity money an incentive or something like that to get players to try. Just try in the fourth quarter. If you're... Just making a competitive fourth quarter would make up for three quarters of just offense, no defense. Anyway, like I said, I'm not, I don't know if I have an opinion. The whole weekend is just a big social event for the players and big-time sport agents and GMs and owners. Uh, anyway, that's my thoughts on the All-Star game. Now, I'm going to cover the trade deadline. I'll highlight some of the the news that I thought or that interested me the most. We'll start with, well, anyway, let's talk about the trade deadline in general. Now, I look forward to it every year. The NBA trade deadline in general is very exciting. Compared to, like, football, there's never any trades. I mean, football's different with how positions work and number of players, but the NBA trade deadline is exciting. Now, this year was kind of lacking this year was actually, it was kind of a letdown with all the potential to happen, all the talk, all the rumors about, like, oh, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, they're going to team up in Boston, stuff like that. Obviously, none of that happened. Anyway, there are some interesting things that happened this deadline. So, like, the Boston Celtics were quiet. They didn't trade for Jimmy Butler or Paul George because they didn't want to gut the team infrastructure and give away the plethora of picks they have. Now, Boston is Boston's kind of living in paradise right now. Some of their best assets include a 2017 first-round pick swap with the Nets. So the Nets will most like, if anything, barring anything crazy, they'll have a lottery pick. So Boston will, they can choose to swap picks with the Nets so they'll get the, they'll get Brooklyn's lottery pick. Uh, this in this next draft, and then Boston also has Brooklyn's 2018 first-round pick, which Brooklyn's mo- likely to be have another lottery pick again, barring any anything crazy this offseason that improves their team tenfold, basically, because they're they're not looking very good for the near future. And Boston also has the the Clippers and the Grizzlies 2019 first-round picks. All that's not even including Boston's own picks they have. So Danny Ainge, uh, the GM for Boston, 
he's got to use these picks wisely. Obviously, he's chosen to go down the route of maybe signing a big-time player in free agency instead of trading away some of these assets for a big player. Um, but no, Boston, it'll be interesting to see what happens. They have Isaiah Thomas, franchise point guard, and assuming they swap with the Nets for this next draft, if they draft another point guard, Boston could have the number one pick in this next draft. And they're very highly seeded. They're very, very high seed in the East, which is, and they're good. But what happens if they, let's say they draft Markel Fultz, stud point guard from Washington. Do they, what do they do with Isaiah Thomas? Do they, do they keep both, trade? Do they trade Markel Fultz for something else? It'll be very interesting to see what happens. Anyway, well, let's move on to Paul George. So, Paul George, Indiana Pacer, is a free agent in 2018. Boston, there's rumors Boston was going to do something trade for him. Indiana was looking for places to maybe trade Paul George to. No one really caught the bait that Indiana was giving out. Anyway, Paul George grew up in Southern, Calif Southern California, so... There's a lot of rumors that he might be interested in signing with the Lakers when he's a free agent. Now, the Lakers, the Lakers and Pacers were kind of talking, but the Lakers, the, the Lakers didn't want to gut their young team when they have a realistic chance at signing Paul George as a free agent. I think that's a pretty intelligent. Lakers, they're, I think they're bought, they might be the last seed in the West right now. And they have young players. They have a few good, decent young players. And if they get Paul George in there, that, without having to give up any other players, like Brandon, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, that's a pretty good pickup. And Magic Johnson would love to get Paul George in free agency in 2018. Magic Johnson, the new president of basketball operations for the Lakers, He's, he might be under some pressure. The Lakers is a little bit of a dramatic situation right now. And if he could get Paul George as a pickup in 2018, that might be all Magic needs to secure his stay in Los Angeles. Anyway, that's enough with Paul George. Paul George. Next thing, next trade deadline item, uh, the Raptors. The Raptors traded two second-round Two second-round picks in Jared Solinger to the Suns for P.J. Tucker. Now, there's reports saying that they did this solely for the purpose of P.J. Tucker guarding LeBron. The Raptors are in, in the chase for trying to get out of the East. Obviously, the Cavs are a heavy, heavy favorite. But the Raptors, Raptors, Boston, are next in line to dethroning LeBron in the East. And... They felt like they needed someone on the wing that could guard LeBron. I don't know if P.J. Obviously, LeBron is somewhat unguardable in the long run, but P.J. Tucker might be able to give LeBron some problems. Uh, Jared Solinger for the Raptors is 24. Well, now he's going to be a son, but he's 24. Career average, 3.4 points per game, 2.5 rebounds per game. P.J. Tucker is a 3 and D type of player. Shoots threes, good defender. Uh, he's 31. He's average career average, seven points per game, six rebounds a game. Uh, pretty good pickup for Raptors. I mean, giving away two second rounders and Jared Solinger's really not losing much. Uh, so pretty good pickup. 
Uh, P.J. Tucker's always been a decent player. He's always remained pretty relevant in the league. So uh, we'll see if that pans out. Uh, next, uh, Houston and L.A. made quite a trade. Houston traded Corey Brewer and a 2017 first-rounder for Lou Williams. Houston already had the, already has the second-highest-scoring offense. And now with Lou Williams, has 35 points coming off the bench with Eric Gordon and Lou Williams. That's crazy. Uh, losing Corey, Bre- Corey Brewer hasn't been doing much. He doesn't see the floor that ton, that, all that much. And then a 2017 first-round pick. Houston's in the hunt. Now, obviously, Golden State is a favorite to get out of the West, like Cleveland is a favorite to get out of the East. But, I mean, Durant's injured right now for Golden State. I mean, he's going to be back. But Houston, if anything, else hap- if anything else happens to Golden State, Houston might be right there for the taking. And adding another scoring threat like Lou Williams, that's great. Lou Williams is averaging a career high. 18.6 points per game in, in just 24.2 minutes. According to NBA.com, he's only the second player to ever do that in the history of the league. Houston's doing great. and After canning their coach last year, their front office has been making great moves. They're currently sitting third in the Western Conference. Like I said, great moves like acquiring Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon and then now Lou Williams. Houston's right there. Now, obviously, I don't. Golden, Golden State's a heavy favorite, but, you know, anything can happen. Someone could get hurt, like KD. Uh, but yeah, Houston's looking real good. All right, now, obviously, the boogie trade. Oh, Sacramento, Sacramento. Wow. Let's try to look at this from the Kings' point of view. Now, Boogie and Boogie Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins hasn't resulted in really anything. And maybe they wanted a clean slate. So that's the really the only thing you can try to look at if you're trying to side with the Kings for this. But I mean at the same time, if they're trying to do trying to rebuild, clean slate, clean slate it. DeMarcus Cousins is the, is the type of player you draft to build around. So you're I really don't understand the point of this. Now, one other thing. If Boogie signed the extension this offseason, which both teams wanted, both teams, or Sacramento and DeMarcus Cousins both made public, they, Boogie wanted to retire, wanted his number in the rafters in Sacramento. He wanted to stay in Sacramento for the rest of his career. He wanted that extension. Sacramento said we're not trading him. We want to. We can't wait to re, to sign Demarcus Cousins to that extension. Well, that didn't happen. Anyway, if if Demarcus Cousins signed the extension, he's pretty much untradeable. No team's going to want to acu- pick up his contract, accumulate that much money. So now is the time to trade him. You really didn't get much. You got Buddy Heald, which Sacramento believes that he could be the next Steph Curry. Uh, that's that's quite a stretch. Buddy Hill's a good, a good player. Um, they got a first-round pick. But DeMarcus Cousins is so valuable. Yes, he has his issues with coaches. He's known to be very disrespectful. Jay Billis 
uh, college basketball analyst when coming out of when DeMarcus Cousins was coming out of college. He was kind of he usually Colin Coward was saying that Jay Billis usually doesn't hammer players. He usually has the players' backs, but he was pretty public about DeMarcus Cousins being uncoachable. And DeMarcus Cousins hasn't done anything to negate what Jay Billis said. But at the same time, DeMarcus Cousins, a 28-10 and 10 guy, you get rid of him and get really nothing back. I mean, you're getting Buddy Heald, rookie, who there's, a, there's some talk that he can develop to be a pretty good player. You're also bringing in Langston Galloway and Tyreek Evans, who are decent, decent to good players. And then you're bringing in the, a 2017 first and second round pick. Now you're also giving up Omri Caspi, who's also a decent player. But you look at it from an unbiased perspective, and you're not really getting that much in return for DeMarcus Cousins. Sacramento's front office is just not intelligent. Their general manager, Vladi Divac, former player, has been leading, leading the charge to nothing for the Sacramento Kings the last two years. It's just been a nightmare to watch. Sacramento, I really just, there's not a lot of hope there, to be honest. Now, from New Orleans' point of view, this is a trade you can't turn down. Now, I, I re- I'm doubtful in Boogie re-signing in 2018. I just don't think, I just don't think it'll work out. Now, in the games they played together, they've gotten, they've gotten blown out some games. I mean, you have a great front court with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis and a really good point guard in Drew Holiday. But they have, they have no one else. They have a bunch of no-names. There is no rel- other relevant players on their team. Yes, you have a great front court and you have a good point guard, but if you have no one else, there's, there's no depth, there's no balance. So I mean, it kind of negates, it kind of cancels each other out. And Drew Holiday's a free agent this offseason, and it's very possible he signs somewhere else for big money. So New Orleans, yes, you want to jump on the bandwagon, but if you really look at it, there might not be as much hope as you think. And like I said, I mean, it's a steal. You can't, for giving up this little for DeMarcus Cousins, you got to take the trade. you got to take the chance. But I, I just don't, I'm doubtful in it working out. Anyway, last thing I want to talk about the trade deadline is my good old Dallas Mavericks. They made a trade uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. They traded... Andrew Bogut, Justin Anderson, and a top 18 protected first-round pick uh, for Nerlens Noel. Now, when I got the update in my phone that this trade went through, I was furious. My update said, Mavs trade Bogut, Justin Anderson, and first-round pick for Nerlens Noel. My initial reaction was terror. I was, I was very upset with this trade. But then I looked into it. It's, you're, there's very little chance you're, losing, you're giving at the first-round pick because it's top 18 protected, and the likelihood of the Mavericks having a top 18 pick, it, it, it's very, 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 very likely. Mavs are very likely to have a lottery pick. 
Now, if you don't, if you, if it's top eighteen, you get a top eighteen pick. The Mavs still they keep the first round pick, but they have to give up two round, two second round picks to Philadelphia. So really, this trade is Andrew Bogut, Justin Anderson, and two second rounders for Nerlens Noel. Now, second round picks they don't really they they don't pan out to anything as much as first rounders. Obviously, I mean Isaiah Thomas was the very last pick in his draft, and he's a very, very good player, but I'm not too worried about second-round picks. And really, the Mavs didn't give up anything else besides that Andrew Bogut hasn't worked out in Dallas. At one point, him and Dirk can't even be on the court at the same time because they just can't play defense. And Bogut's kind of been a little public about not working out in Dallas, and he wants to go somewhere else. And then Justin Anderson, young player, career average, 5.2 points per game, 2.7 rebounds. He's still a work in progress. He doesn't really shoot the ball well. Good hustle player, decent role player, uh, but really you're not losing much with him. And then Nerlens Noel. I, under, I underestimated him big time when I got this update. He's 22 years old. He's career average, 10.7 rebounds. But I'm excited. Not only is he young and athletic, and good rebounder, good defensive player, I think he's going to develop more in Dallas. It was hard for him to develop and kind of blossom into the player that a lot of people thought he was going to be. It was kind of a, a, a clogged front court in Philadelphia with two other centers, big guys, Joel, Joel, Jaleel Okafor and Joel Embiid. So I'm excited. I think Nerlens Noel is excited as well. And... In the first few games, I mean, he's looked he's looked good. Now, this uh, brings up another topic. Dallas is only a few games out of the eighth spot, eighth seed in the playoffs. And I've been saying I want Dallas to not make the playoffs because I want them to have a lottery pick. I want them to continue to rebuild. But part of me is starting to maybe like the idea of making the playoffs. I know, I mean, if we make the playoffs, we get bounced in the first round. I know. But the thought of Dirk being in the playoffs again, being in the playoffs and maybe give Nerlens Noel, who's going to be a free agent somewhat soon, to re-sign with Dallas. But most of me still wants us to Dallas not to make the playoffs because I want to get a high draft pick. But the Mavs got a steal with this trade. I really like it going forward. I... I'm so sorry for ever doubting you, my beloved Dallas Mavericks. But you were right. Nerlens Noel, it was a good trade. I mean, it was a steal. Nerlens Noel is a good player. We really didn't give up much for him. And I like the way, I like the, the direction we're going in. Seth Curry's playing very well. Yogi Ferrell signed to a two-year deal. I don't think he's a franchise point guard. But he's showing signs of being consistent, good passer, good shooter. Obviously, Harrison Barnes is a very good player going into the future. So, Mavs, good trade. I'm sorry I doubted you for even a second. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. NBA edition, episode four of the Jesus Love Sports podcast. I'm your host, Luke Heaton, and as always, how did you make a difference today? He goes straight to God. And what does that do? It gives you peace. 
don't think LeBron would be very good at the dunk contest. When I got the update in my phone that this trade went through, I was furious. 